couple weeks ago, I got a brand new phone. And so the night that I got the package, I opened it up and I went through importing everything off my old phone onto my brand new phone. And it was, it's exciting when you get a new piece of technology, at least for me. And so I downloaded some additional apps because now I had more storage space with the phone I had before that. I was constantly having to delete apps or figure out which one of the videos of, of the kids I wanted to delete to have some more space on the phone. So I got some additional space and it was nice not to have to go through and to delete any, any apps or any videos when I wanted to do something. And so that was fun and, and it was great. I'm really excited about it. Next morning I, I woke up and was driving in to work here and was, was driving along and all of a sudden my phone rang. And so I answered the phone and it, it was my sister and she was telling me uh, some, some information about somebody that we knew that was pretty important. And all of a sudden the, the phone just, just dropped out. I'm like, well, you know, sometimes that happens here. The, the towers aren't always the best. You don't always get the best reception. And so I, I picked, I called her back and she started talk like without missing a beat. She's like, hey, and then just like without missing a beat, jumped right back into the story and talked for a few more minutes. And uh, then she stopped talking, which was a signal uh, for me to say something. Uh, and so uh, I, I said, I said something in response to what she was saying. And there was just nothing. And I'm like, hello and then she finally said are you are you going to talk are you going to say anything and I'm like I'm talking I'm talking she's like hello are you there I'm, I'm, I'm talking so I hung up and I'm like well maybe it's her phone so I <laughs> I called somebody else I'm like, why do you sound like a robot I'm like oh that's not good and so I, I was on phone with the wonderful customer service people but the beauty of the cell phone is when there's a problem you have to use another phone to talk with that. It, it was just a mess. Anyways, long story short, brand new phone, but I couldn't communicate with anybody outside of text. Now, if you're under 40, you're fine with that. In fact, you prefer that. Uh, if, you're, if you're over 50, you hate texting with a passion. It generally, not everybody, but you're like, yeah, my kids won't even talk to me anymore. They, they're too good to talk to me. They hit me up with an LOL or an emoji. What's that? Call and tell somebody you love them. Maybe. So, <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> you know it. I had a brand new phone, but I couldn't communicate with it. And so after a couple hours, I, I finally, of troubleshooting, I finally got the phone to the point where I could use it for what the primary purpose of the phone was originally created for, for verbal communication. Communication's important. Communication is important. In fact, most of the problems that you will encounter and you will face in life boil down to communication. Think about it. Think about it in your relationships. The vast majority of problems that you experience in your relationships are a direct result of poor communication or no communication and how you go about solving that when it occurs. Most of the tensions at a workplace are not a result of different visions or ideas. Most tensions at a workplace are a direct result of communication that breaks down and over time hostility is allowed to come into the picture and all because communication wasn't what it should have been. 
Communication is incredibly important, and it can be incredibly frustrating whether you're on a phone where you don't have good reception or whether you find yourself in a workplace and the, the walls have just broken down and you feel like you can no longer talk to the people that you work with or, and hopefully this isn't the case, you find yourself in a committed marriage relationship right now where it's just tough because there isn't any communication and every conversation turns into a fight because of the lack of communication and because there's been a breakdown in this department. This morning, as we conclude what now, we're going to see some of the final communication that Jesus had with his disciples before he'd be crucified. So if, you're, if you have your phones or your tablets, and hopefully they're working better than the phone I got when I first got it, pull on up the Bible app and join us in John 16. John 16, we're going to start in verse 29 this morning, but you can follow along in the events section of the Bible app where we read these words in John 16, 29. His disciples, Jesus' disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly. And not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? I mean, these, these verses are really fascinating, really fascinating. And they're going to set the template. They're going to set the scene for what we're going to, what we're going to examine this morning. So it's important that we really understand the scope of what's happening here. Jesus, again, this is, this is his final evening. The, the, he's, he's just served communion. He's washed their feet. He's talking with them at length about all kinds of things. And the disciples say, we finally get it. We've walked with you for three years. We've seen you do miraculous things. We've heard you teach, often in parables, Oftentimes we're scratching our heads saying, what is he talking about? But now we get it. Now you're finally speaking clearly to us on a level that we understand, and it's clear what's happening. We finally get it. And do you notice what their response is? Now that they finally get it, and they're excited that Jesus is speaking plainly to them and no longer using figurative language, notice what, notice what their response is. I, I love this. Now we know that you know all things and don't need anyone to question you. I love that. I love that. This is the equivalent. This is the equivalent of a child telling their parent, I don't need you to tell you. I don't need to tell you anymore to eat your vegetable. Right. Like this is the disciples. They're like, oh, OK, now we know that nobody needs to question you. Well, I'm glad he could clear that up for them. I, I, I just I find that fascinating. And their response is, we believe we believe in you. We believe you, Jesus. And Jesus follows that up with a question. Do you? Do you? You say you believe. You say you've reached this point. Do you? The question that he's asking is when, when, when it really counts, when the stakes are high. Where you, when you have to put your money where your mouth is, where the rubber meets the road, do you really believe? It's easy to proclaim the name of Jesus, and I know it's becoming less and less so in, in a post-Christian society in which we live, but it's still easy to claim the name of Jesus. But the question is, do we back that up with authentic, legitimate belief? And that's the question that Jesus asked his disciples. 
I've heard you claim it. But do you really believe it? Now, what message did now what message did they say they finally understood? So we're going to go back, just just a couple of, just just back to verse twenty eight, where we really understand the crux of what Jesus was talking about, and this is the message that they said was clear to them, and that they finally understood. And that message is this: I came, Jesus said, from the Father, and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. This is the gospel message that's wrapped up all in this sentence. That God loved us in spite of the fact that we've made mistakes, in spite of the fact that we sinned. In spite of the fact that God has a set of standards and his standards of perfection, and you and I cannot meet those standards, we all fall short. God still loves us in spite of that. So much so that he came to this world, that Jesus came to this world, to pay the price for our mistakes and our shortcomings. Scripture is very clear that the cost of our sin, the cost of our mistakes, the cost of the things that you and I have done that go against the standard of God who gets to make the standard because he created everything, and as the creator, he gets to make the rules. There is a penalty to be paid for a, for a direct result of our rebellion, and that penalty is death. It's a physical death, which we'll all experience. But even worse than that, if you can imagine it, even worse than that is a spiritual death, which is eternity apart from our Creator in a place that the Bible calls hell. That is is the reality, and that is ultimately what you and I deserve at our core because we have not measured up to God's standard. But God loves us in spite of that. So much so that Jesus came. And he paid the price for our mistakes. He paid the price for our sin. And he died in our place. So that we could have hope. So that we did not have to be limited to our mistakes. So that our mistakes didn't get to define us. That that our, our wrongdoing doesn't have the final word. God is bigger than that, and he's greater than that. So Jesus came, and he took upon himself on the cross, which he was about to go to, hours later after this conversation, every single thing I have ever done wrong, every lie I've told, every person I've betrayed, every wicked thought, every outburst of anger, We could keep going. But not just mine. Yours as well. And all of that was placed upon him. Because the cost of our sin is death. But the gift of God is the fact that we could have life everlasting. The the gift of God is that we could be restored to our creator. The gift of God is that our sin doesn't have to define us. So Jesus took the weight of everything I've ever done wrong and everything you've ever done wrong. And he paid the price. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for me and for you, so that in that act, 
through the work of Jesus, we could be restored to our creator. Three days later, he would raise from the dead, proving that he was victorious over everything I have ever done wrong. And everything you've ever done wrong. And the promise of Jesus is that if we, as people who have rebelled against God, would confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is God, that if we would confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. We have hope. And Jesus, just hours before, he would go to the darkest day, to Jesus' the darkest day in the history of God. It would turn out to be our best day. Because he died for you and for me so that we could be restored, that we could have hope. He says, I came, I came with a purpose, and soon I'm fulfilling that purpose, and then I'm leaving. That's the message the disciples were saying, we believe, and that's the message that's available for you today to believe. There is a God who loves you. Who can redeem you. Who can take every mistake and everything wrong that you've done. And that penalty has already been paid. If you would accept that. We go now to verse 32 where we read this. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Jesus tells them what's to come. He says, I hear you say that you believe in me. I hear you say it. But hours from now, literally hours from now, you will all run away. You will abandon me. And as we've seen from weeks ago when we started, what now? We've seen that God in his love and in his goodness is still strong when we are weak. That God's love is not dependent upon our action. But here Jesus is telling them, I've heard you say it, but this is your reality. But even in the midst of that, when your words don't match your conduct, God still loves you. When you feel like you've gone too far, when you feel like you have run too far, just know you can never run too far. For God, stop loving you. 
There is nothing you can do. Nothing you can do for God to give up on you. You will give up on yourself. People will give up on you. But God will never give up on you. You cannot, you cannot shake his love for you. I have said these things to you, that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So what's the result of this? What's the result of us as people who made the decision to follow Jesus? What does this mean What for our lives? What does this mean practically for you and for me? What's the end result? This idea of peace. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. And you may have peace. And until you haven't experienced peace, you don't know how valuable peace is. Until your world has been shattered. Until everything you thought that you could count on falls apart. You don't truly know how precious peace is. It's in the moments of brokenness. It's in the moments of defeat. It's in the moments of failure. Where it seems like everything that you've counted on and everything that you've clinged to has faded away. That is where you discover how valuable peace is. That is when you realize the need for this. And that is when you realize how empty so many pursuits that we chase after truly are. We hear it all the time. Story after story after story of person who's reached the pinnacle of success. Only to be left wanting more. It oftentimes lends itself to addiction, excess, adultery, all in the pursuit to fill a void that just isn't filled. Because truth be told, sometimes the worst failure of all is getting everything that you dreamed you wanted only to discover that it hasn't satisfied. But the message of Jesus is one that says, I have come that in me you may have peace. And that's, that's really the crux of the matter. It's in Jesus that we can experience peace. Because we were designed and we were developed to have a relationship with our Creator. 
And in the midst of a void of that relationship, there is a void in our hearts and in our lives that ultimately will never be fulfilled. He says, I have said these things to you so that you can discover what it means to follow me. And in me, there is peace. And then here's the contrast. In the world, you will have tribulation. In the world, you will have trouble. In the world, you will have unrest. We've seen it just on full display. I'm not going to rehash everything that, that we've seen and everything that we've encountered. But it's, it's there. Everywhere we turn. And the words of Jesus say, this isn't all that uncommon. Now on the scale that we've seen recently, it may be so, but this isn't all that uncommon. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. There will be pandemics. There have been pandemics before. There will be pandemics again. Tensions. There has been tension before. And while we would hope not, there will be tension again. And if it's not race-related, it will be something else. And that's not to diminish anything. It's just the reality that Jesus has told us. You're going to experience troubles in this world. They aren't going away. And it doesn't mean that we should sit idly by and do nothing. But it also should remind us... That as, as people who follow Jesus, our hope can't be. Our hope can't be found in this lifetime. Our hope can't be found in this world. This world offers us trouble. That's the promise that Jesus made. He contrasts that with the offer of peace that he delivers. It gives us a choice. He says, you can choose. In me, you will discover peace. This world offers you trouble. This is the promise of Jesus. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Are you encouraged today? Are you? Are you encouraged? I 
like, how can we be encouraged with everything that's going on in this world? What possible way is there for us to be people who are optimistic? How could we be excited right now? And I'm not, you have to be excited, but are you encouraged? Do you understand that coronavirus does not have the final word? Do you understand that tensions do not have the final word? Do you understand that racism does not have the final word? Do you understand that rioters do not have the final word? Do you understand that no matter what the world throws at us, not have the final word? Do you understand that disease and destruction and even death itself does not have the final word? And what happens is, as people who, who follow Jesus, we know that. We know that cognitively, but we are, we, we are citizens of heaven, but we live right now in this world. And so much of our, so much of our focus is just captured on the day to day, and you can't escape it now. If you don't watch the news, that's fine. You're phone will send you the highlights anyway. You don't have to ask for it. It just send it to you. So you're in the middle of hearing how great your kid's day was. And oh, here's a video of rioters. Wonderful. Have a good night. Enjoy your dinner. You, it doesn't matter what you try to do. It is sent to you and you can't shake it and you can't escape it. And yes, you're a citizen of heaven, but you're living in a very broken world and it's on display and it's on repeat. And all of a sudden it it just seems like everything is falling apart because it is. But we have to remember, in spite of all of those things that we see, in spite of all of those things that are just constantly shown to us and thrown in our face, in spite of those things that sometimes are very legitimate and other times are just artificially put together just to get a reaction, in spite of all of that, we have to remember this truth. That Jesus is bigger than any circumstance. Jesus is bigger than coronavirus. Jesus is bigger than racism. Jesus is bigger than reform. And the enemy wants to come. The enemy wants to come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Because that's what he loves to do. We've seen that on full display. And as a child of God, as somebody who's made the decision to follow Jesus, he might not be able to kill you. But he'll try to destroy you. And maybe, maybe that, maybe that isn't, isn't possible. Maybe he can't fully destroy you. And we know that ultimately he can't fully destroy those who follow Jesus. But then he'll try to distract you. If he can't destroy you, he'll definitely try to distract you. So much of our focus gets thrown on things that just seem so hopeless and make us feel so helpless. That make it so we walk through life 
defeated. Despondent. The message of Jesus is that I've come so you can experience peace through me. I am the path to peace. And it's found in a relationship with me. And oh, by the way, you are going to experience all kinds of trouble. You're going to experience all kinds of tribulation. You're going to experience all kinds of things in this world. But take heart. Take heart. Because I have overcome this world. Jesus is greater. He wins. And it's time for us to remember that. It's time for us to remember that ultimately there is nothing to fear. This is not a call for us to be irresponsible. But it is a call for us to say we will not live in fear. That we will not be people who allow ourselves to become distracted, but we would, we would pledge and we would do everything that we possibly can to remember that, that Jesus wins and we are not defined by the outcome of the day to day. And when all of those things are just thrust upon us, we must make an effort to remind ourselves that Jesus is greater than anything we experience. Because if we don't do that, we will not be the hope of the world. We will live depressed. We will live constantly distracted. And we will not be effective in sharing with people the fact that there is a hope that is greater than anything we encounter. And that hope is Jesus. And he came to save you and me. And the benefit is that we could discover peace. And we don't have to live slaves to what we're seeing on display. That we do not have to be slaves to fear. That we can take heart. Because greater is He that is in us In this world. So I just want to ask you. Are you encouraged? Have you allowed your joy to be stolen? Have you allowed yourself to become distracted? Maybe you have. Don't beat yourself up. It's the enemy talking. The enemy wants you to, to beat yourself up, and, and the enemy wants, you, wants to get in your head and, and tell you that, oh, well, see, look, you've messed it up. No. Jesus is saying, just remember. 
I came that you'd experience peace. And I'm bigger than anything this world has to throw in your face. God, I pray that we would be people who experience peace. Lord, this world is a disaster. And we've seen it on display time and time again. It's highlighted, it's magnified, and it gets to us. I pray, God, that you'd help us remain focused. I pray, God, that you wouldn't allow us to become distracted. But I pray as people who follow Jesus, We would take heart. Because you're greater than any obstacle. I pray for the person that's here and the person that's watching who's, who's never made the decision to fully surrender their life over to you. And I pray right now, God, is the time. This is the moment where it moves from their head into their heart. In the quietness of this moment, they would just cry out to you. And as you promised us from Scripture, that they would confess with their mouth that you are Lord and believe that you're God and that you love them and you died on the cross for them and three days later you rose again that they would give you their lives and all of the pursuits all of the things that they are focused upon all of the pressures of this world now be lived with the promise of what happens when we follow you. The promise that in you we can find peace. Encourage our hearts. Encourage our lives. Help us make a commitment today to say we will take part. No matter what we experience, no matter what this world throws at us, we will take heart, God, because we recognize you are greater, you are bigger. Help us live that today and every day that we could be a shining example to the world of what hope and peace look like. And we would point people 